I, I have this passion. Uh, I think I really, you guys might have figured this out. I think he's only got one sermon, and the sermon is, let's really do this thing. Let's really go after God. And I have this passion for us to really be everything God's calls to be and to find tremendous joy and great satisfaction in our Christian life. I, I just, I'm saddened when I run into people and they, they're kind of like, oh, I want to go to heaven, so I guess I'll do this Christian thing, you know, and muddle through life. I, are you kidding me? I mean, serving the Lord should be full of joy and full of hope and full of expectation and, and full of satisfaction to serve the Lord. We're going to look at a verse that we talk about quite a bit in, the, in, the, in our services. It's John 10.10. 10. In John 10.10, 10, it says the thief, this is out of the Amplified Bible, the thief comes only in order to what's the first thing? And? And? Now, I think you don't have to be a real deep thinker to say, I don't want any part of that. I mean, who, who wants something that's going to steal, kill, and destroy from us? Now, this is Jesus speaking in John 10.10. 10, and Jesus said, I came that they might have and what? Enjoy life. So Jesus came that you might have life and that you might enjoy life. Now, if that's a foreign concept to you, that, oh my goodness, I didn't know that Christianity could be enjoyable. Well, it's a good thing you're here today because Christianity is enjoyable. Knowing Jesus is enjoyable. It gives us life. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to say that we have and enjoy life and have it in what? Abundance to the full till it overflows. Now, every now and then, we will drive through a place that charges way too much money for their beverages. They will remain nameless. When I get something and pay that kind of money, I want it to be full to the brim. You know what I mean? You, I want it good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. That's the way God does it. I mean, I'm seriously, I tell people this honestly, I am not cheap. I am, I am Scottish. I'm thrifty. If they would hand something to me and it was about an inch down from the top, I'd hand it right back and say, I think you got an inch more of, of beverage to put in here. And so that Jesus, he pours until it just overflows. And just, you know it's full when it's overflowing. And Jesus came to do that. Now, as you look through uh, John, you, if, you, if we took time to read chapters 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, all that, you would find that Jesus is button heads with the religious leaders all through these chapters. He's button heads with them. And so I do believe that most likely he was calling these bad leaders, these false teachers, these people who couldn't recognize the will of God and the way of God and rejected him as Messiah and Savior. I'm pretty sure that he was probably getting after them here and calling them thieves. They're the thieves. They're the ones that are trying to climb over the fence. They're trying to do other things into the sheepfold. And some people will, will say, well, you know, but people often say that's the devil. I say it's the devil too, and I don't think we're stretching the scripture with that because if we backed up to John 8.44, he would tell these people, these false teachers, that you're of your father the devil. You're of your father the devil. You love carrying out his plans and his desires. And so I have no problem at all saying Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life, you might enjoy life, you might have it to the fullest measure, you might have it abundantly, and you might have it overflowing. You say, well, that doesn't seem to always mark my life. That's okay. You know, everybody has a day like that. What I want, to, what I want you to know is overall, you need a life full of joy and satisfaction and overflowing presence of Jesus. And it will not always be in your circumstances. I believe that's why Jesus said, I'm going to leave you peace not like the world leaves. Because the world leaves peace only when things are peaceful. But somehow, you have this peace that surpasses understanding, Philippians 4 says. There's no logical reason for it. There's no circumstantial reason for it. How do you have that? Because of Jesus. In Acts, Stephen preaches a pretty awesome message, and they think this is so good we're going to kill you, and they do. How would you like to open up on your first message? I mean, isn't it good that the Bible says they who compare themselves among themselves are not wise? Because Stephen would then say, could go to the Lord and say, time out, I have a question for him. Peter preaches his first message, and 3,000 people come to know you as Savior. I preach my first message, and they kill me. But if you read the story, it appears that Stephen had joy and peace as they were taking his life, and he went on to be with the Lord. They're taking his life. He's not saying, woe is me. He says, oh my goodness, I see the heavens open. And the Son of Man, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. I heard this the other day. I never saw that before ever. It says the only person in the Bible that got a standing ovation from Jesus. He's not seated at the right hand. He's standing at the right hand of the Father. I thought, whoo, that's pretty good to get a standing ovation by, by Jesus. He enters into his presence with, with joy and peace. Even though the circumstances in the natural world didn't look that good, uh, Stephen, and if you read the book of Acts and you read the early church, Stephen might be gone to, for the Lord and say, whoo, thank you for all that you let me avoid. <laughs> you know, by just bringing me on home to be with the Lord. So we should have this joy and this peace, and Satan wants to steal it, and he wants to lie to you, he wants to rob, he wants to kill, he wants to destroy, and we need to say no to him. And so we're going to talk about how to thrive in our faith. One of the first things I want to encourage you with is we're thriving in our faith is we have got to say no to the lies of the devil. There's so many lies of the devil. And, and I don't know, maybe the world's always been like this, it's just the only world I've ever lived in, but I can tell you right now, I cannot hardly watch anything but what somebody is talking about, a mental and emotional uh, illness. And they're not healthy and well mentally and emotionally. And if you're here that way, this isn't to pick on you. I, I want to see if we can help. And I believe Jesus and his word can help that. And I'm all for people getting help. But I wonder about this because we live in this culture, in this world, especially as people in the United States of America, that we overflow with opulence and abundance and everything. And we are mentally and emotionally distraught. I shared with you a few weeks ago that Ronda Rousey lost her first fight. I mean, she's worth millions of dollars. She lost her first fight. When she lost her first fight, she was in her interview and said this, I seriously contemplated killing myself. I think, wow. Simone Biles is coming back into the Olympic or the gymnastic world and said she took a couple of years off to do some personal things, which was fine, and said, and to work on her mental health. Now, again, I'm, I mean this. I'm not picking on that. I say, good, hooray, yay, I championed that. But there's another side of me that says, wow, you, you love the Lord. You're worth millions of dollars. You have everything the world says they're after, and you're struggling. Hey, again, I'm not picking on that. I say, yes, get help, get help. 
But I want to see that a lot of our problems, and I'm not saying everything, so please hear this. And by the way, I mean this. I want to tell you, you go get help in any way you need to. You need a counselor to talk to, get one. No shame in that. You need prayer. You want to come to this altar every time it's open, do it. Whatever you need to do, go for health. I encourage you to do that. But we live in a world where we have so much and we're so troubled and I want the peace of God to be on our lives. And so many things go back to the lies the devil whispers in your ear, in your mind, in your heart, and you just believing them. I say, no, no, no. Let's believe the word of God. And so we look at this, and I can tell you, we, we look through John 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. We look through all these chapters, and we see Jesus butting heads with these people. And then we see him talking about there's thieves out there. Then we hear him talking about there's liars out there. Then we hear him talking about the devils out there. But then we see Jesus being revealed constantly through those chapters too. And we realize that Jesus, the life giver, the abundant life giver, the eternal life giver is on the scene as well. And so we want to focus in on him. Uh, We need to fix our eyes on Jesus He's the one who begins and finishes our faith. And there's no one listening to my voice right now online or here in the church that doesn't want abundant life and doesn't want eternal life. And you say, well, I don't think atheists want eternal life. I think an, an atheist, if you said, hey, let me ask you, I know they may not like the God thing or not believe in God, but if we, we might have to tell an atheist this. If I could wave a magic wand and you could have, when this life is over, you could step into a life of bliss and joy and hope and, and health and prosperity and and purpose and energy, would you want that? I think probably all of them say, absolutely. Who wouldn't want that? Well, we have that in Jesus. We have that according to Psalm 1611. It says, you make known to me the path of life. The psalmist says, hey, God, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures. Notice there's an S on the end. That pleasures forevermore. Wow. You make known to me the path of life. It comes from God. God makes known to us a path, a way. There's a, there's, the King James says it like this, and another verse just came to my mind. It says, um, you'll hear a voice behind you whispering, this is the way, walk ye in it. We're not abusing the scripture to say, and probably another translation probably says it like this, here's the path, take it. You'll hear a voice behind you whispering, here's the path, take it. God's always trying to get us on the right path. He's always moving us towards the right path. And when we get on the right path, we'll find Jesus. When we get on the right path, we'll have abundant life. We'll have eternal life. And we will have explosive joy and we'll be lavished with pleasures for eternity. Wow. And eternity doesn't start for the believer after we die here. It starts the moment you get born again. It's, it's right there. Your eternal life is right there in Christ right then. So life's full of paths. And I want to encourage you to take a good path Take a right path. So we focus on Jesus, the eternal life giver, the creator of life. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment. If, if God is who he says he is, if he is as he has revealed himself, if, if he really does exist, and, and I believe he does, and I believe you believe he does, or you wouldn't have been here. There's a thousand other things you could be doing today, but you chose to be in the house of the Lord because I believe you believe that God exists just like I do. By his very essence, by his godness, I want you to know this, God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need anything. He is totally all-sufficient. He's totally self-sustaining. 
And then this all-efficient, self-sustaining God starts to reveal something about himself, that he has a certain essence, that he's not just loving, he is love. So then you start thinking, okay, well, here's this this all-sufficient, all-powerful, all-everything, who needs nothing, who is totally motivated by selfless love. What's he going to give? Good stuff. What's he going to give? Joy. What's he going to give? Pleasures forevermore. See, when we go to God, we never have to look at God and say, what's your angle here? What are you up to? Why are you trying to pull over me? Because he has nothing you need. He can come to you with no ulterior motive. And also, not only does he have nothing you need, but because he moves out of selfless love, he's not trying to take anything from you. Hmm. So, he's going to give you good. He's going to give you joy. He's going to give you pleasures. Now, you may say, well, I've had problems in my life. I, I get it. We live in a sin-sick, hurting, broken world. None of us escape planet Earth without coming in contact with the hurting, brokenness of this world. I get that. And I'm not trying to teach that, that you're going to be in some kind of bubble. I'm just teaching that our God's plan for you is good. He has good things for you. And so, but there's something as I was pondering this, there's nothing we have that he needs. But there is something he desires. Isn't it interesting? A person can have no needs, but they can still have desires. God desires, unbeknownst to me why, God desires a relationship with me and you. A full-on relationship with me and you. Even the psalmist said, what is it that you're so infatuated with we human beings? What is it about us that you're so into? But God is into wanting and desiring a relationship with you and with me. And he draws us towards that. But I can tell you, the devil's a thief. He's a liar. He's a destroyer. He's a killer. He does have hidden agendas. He is trying to pull one over on you. He does have secret motives. And he even Paul taught don't be ignorant of Satan's devices and his schemes because we don't want him to gain an advantage over us. So just a reminder, Satan hates you. Aren't you glad you came to hear that? Now sometimes, seriously, because I know, I know Satan's lies, he'll begin to put fear in you. Oh, Satan hates me. I, I better be careful. No, you just better be full of Jesus. Full of Jesus. We don't need to be scared of the devil. We don't need to be leery of him. We don't need to even think either, like I taught a couple weeks ago, that him and God's on like the same plane and neither one can quite pin each other in some cosmic wrestling match. No, he's already been, Satan's been pinned, defeated, destroyed, everything. Jesus made an open shame and show and mockery of him. Jesus, God even used Satan to bring about salvation for the world. The Bible says that if Satan would have known what he was doing, he would have never killed the Lord of glory. And so how bad is it that somebody's so far ahead of you that they use you to do their bidding? I mean, that's, that's how our God does. I don't know, you ever been used before? There's just something, oh, oh, we don't like being used. You know, the devil had to be infuriated when he just found out he got used by the Lord to accomplish salvation for these people that Satan hates. So, 
Satan most certainly does not want you to have abundant life. Now, if you happen to make a mistake in his opinion, it's not a mistake, I'm saying Satan's opinion. If you happen to make a mistake in Satan's opinion, and you have stepped over from being a God's creation to being God's child, which is different, then if he's blown it at that and you already have eternal life, he most certainly wants to make sure that you never experience abundant living here on planet Earth. Because for you to live life abundantly is very dangerous to the devil's kingdom. Because what you will become is you'll become light and salt. Light will illuminate the darkness in people's hearts and minds and thought processes. And salt brings flavor, makes your life taste good to them. And the Bible even says this. There will be times where they speak evil of you, and this is my paraphrase, but they'll put their head on the pillow at night knowing this. They're lovers of God, and they don't deserve the bad things I'm saying about them. That's okay. They said bad things about Jesus too, so that's okay. I mean, none of us like it, but it's just part of it. But Satan does not want you to enjoy abundant living because you become light and you become salt, and people start thinking, maybe I want what they got. I can tell you, when something tastes good to me, I want it. If we're eating a meal together and I taste hers, I say, I made a wrong call on this meal. I'd gladly just switch meals with her. We want what tastes good, and we should have a sweet taste to the world. But Satan wants to stop that. So Satan's method for stealing and killing and thieving from you primarily is lies. Lies. John eight forty four. This is Jesus talking to those religious leaders. You belong to your father, the devil. I do want you to notice, we, people, especially people who don't want to come into a relationship with Jesus, but they want to have the benefits of eternal life and God blessing their lives, they often paint a picture of Jesus that he's just this mushy ball of love that, you know, never says anything's wrong, never does anything. Just he's so, so mellow. But look at what it says here. He said to them, you are of your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. That's not a very nice thing to say, but it's true. He, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. So how much truth is in the devil? None. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue or language. For he is a what? Liar and the father of lies. That's the devil. One time we met a friend years ago, and, and um, Darlene and I had, had lunch with him a couple times, and we hopped in the car and started driving away, and, and Darlene looked at me and she said, um, and she wasn't being mean-spirited, she just said this, he's a liar. And then so I proceeded to rebuke her and tell her, that's not nice at all, I can't believe you said that and that's wrong, blah, 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 blah. About a month later, we're in the car and I look over and he's a liar. And uh, it's like, what, what happened? Well, she was way ahead of perceiving something I had, that I hadn't perceived. Um, and he I've only met two people like this in my life. He would go out of his way to tell you a lie for no reason. It brought, I didn't see any benefit to it, but he would go out of his way to tell a lie. That was unusual to me. I get it. You know, you got little kids, they'll tell you a lie to avoid getting in trouble or to gain an advantage over something. But just to go out of your way to lie was crazy to me. Well, that just lying was just kind of in this person. Lying's all that is in the devil. He will lie to you. And Satan hasn't changed his tactics at all. 
I'm just sorry we keep falling for them. We have more sense in the world. If somebody takes advantage of you in a worldly way, you log that in your mind, and it don't happen again. You may get taken advantage of in a different way, but you, you keep learning. But Satan keeps doing the same thing. He comes on the scene in the Garden of Eden in, in, in Genesis chapter 3. And Christianity is interesting. I suppose it's not just Christianity. It's probably anything that people study and read. You can spend a year trying to figure out, now was that actually Satan that came in the garden? Or was it a serpent that came in possessed by Satan? Or did Satan make himself look like a serpent? Or did maybe Satan, you know, influence this serpent? And so let me just tell you this. The devil's behind whatever went on there in the garden. And in the Bible, he's called a serpent, a snake. So I was, saw this little clip by somebody who hated the Bible. So they're telling you how stupid the Bible is because, after all, God supposedly curses this serpent to crawl on its belly. Well, serpents already crawl on their belly. But I want, you to tell you, I want to tell you what the Bible says. This serpent walked in to the garden and walked up to Eve and said, hey, Eve, how's it going today? This is a real rough paraphrase. And um, they didn't startle Eve that the serpent walked upright. It didn't startle Eve. And, and Adam and Eve had no fear in them, so I don't think they would have been fearful. But apparently, this creature has a vocabulary. When he steps up and says, hey, Eve, how's it going today? She doesn't say, this is really odd. I've never seen Horus here, the serpent talking before. I named him Horace. By the way, if your name's Horace, forgive me. I, I, I'm not saying, if your best friend's named Horace, you know, call him whatever you want. So, so he says, so what's going on, Horace? Well, well, I just, I just walking around the garden here. Now, by the way, we don't know this. They may have had a thousand conversations. We don't know this. It, it's very possible, maybe even more probable in my mind, but I may change my mind on this later, so do, don't take this real seriously. It very, Maybe Satan and, and the serpent had had a thousand conversations and that he had slowly been deceived onto his side. I don't know. That's just total speculation, so do that what you want. And so the serpent says, D, I was just walking around here. such a great place you all have here. Uh, but I'm looking around, and I just think it's sad that he can't eat any of the, the fruit on any of these trees. And Eve says, oh, we can eat fruit on all the trees in the garden except that one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're not even supposed to touch it lest we die. And then the serpent says, oh man, you'll not surely die. Did God tell you that, that you'll die? Oh my goodness. That's just like God. He hates competition. I think God looks at you, Eve and, and Adam over there, and thinks, man, if they ever were like me, they would, they would rule the universe. And so he just knows that the day you eat it, you'll be like him. And then the Bible says, and I believe that Eve stepped out of, out of spiritual truth and knowledge and stepped into worldly truth and knowledge. Because the Bible says something clicks and she looks at that fruit and she says she saw that it was pleasing to the eye. That fruit was good looking. She saw that, that it was good for eating. It wasn't a poisonous thing. And and she saw that it was desirable to make one wise. And so she took that fruit and ate it and gave it to her husband who was with her. And we all know the story. Death broke into every aspect of creation 
at that moment. God's not trying to crush your potential. He's not trying to steal anything from you. This crafty, shrewd creature stepped in. Eve stepped out of spiritual truth. God gave her into worldly truth. And in fact, this is just a little thing you can jot down, look up later. John writes in 1 John 2.16, 1 John 2.16. One of the disciples of Jesus named John wrote the Gospel of John, and then there's three little books towards the end of the New Testament, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and in 1 John chapter 2.16, he basically says this, there's all kinds of desires in the world, and they're not from God. And then he lists three specific desires that encompass everything. He says there is, um, there's the lust of the eye. Remember what Eve said? This fruit's pleasing to the eye. There's the lust of the flesh, our desires to fulfill and satisfy our flesh. She saw that this fruit was good for food. It would satisfy her flesh. And the Bible says in John that there's another category, and it's, it's pride, something that brings pride. And she saw this is desirable to make one wise. It's the same pattern. John's talking the same pattern that Eve fell into by the lives of Satan in the garden. We need to catch him in his lies and say no. And then tell him, here's the counter to that. I'm going to tell you what the word of God says. And so in 1 Peter 2.11, it says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. So I want you to notice we're just passing through. Abraham looked forward to a city whose builder and maker was God. It says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly sinful desires that wage war against your very souls. Sin diminishes our lives. Sin steals, kills, and destroys. So what's the path we should take? Well, Jesus tells us in John 15. Jesus says in John 15, 1 through 8, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so it will be even more fruitful. I want you to see this. There's something about God. He likes to use the term fruitfulness. And we get that even in our current culture today when somebody says, wow, your business is really fruitful or your life's really fruitful or, or you know, things are really going well. We, we see it's fruitful. It produces fruit and good stuff. And here he says, he cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. I have a tree out in my backyard that has a couple dead branches and guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to cut them off and the tree will have more life flowing through it when I do that. It's not a mean thing. I'm going to prune that. Branches and plants and those of you who take care of flowers and stuff, if you prune things back or deadhead things, it gives more life to them and it gets bigger and better and more beautiful, more fruitful. And then he says in something, verse 3, please catch this, verse 3, verse 3. He says this, that you are already clean, and I put in parentheses, pruned. The reason I put that there is not because I wanted to change the scripture, but you can look it up for yourself in your Strong's Concordance or any word search you want to do. And the word for prune in verse 2 and the word for clean in verse 3 both have the same root word. And the concept of cleaning in this verse is not like cleaning when you wash your clothes or cleaning if you wash your car or remove a stain out of something. This is cleaning that comes from pruning. The whole theory, the whole concept here you can get is about vines and branches and fruit and pruning and all that. So they're being clean. But how does God prune us? It says here in verse 3, you are already clean or pruned because of the what? 
the word I have spoken to you. I'll tell you a lie of the devil right now. You end up in a car wreck and you say, well, you know, I guess God put me in this car wreck because he wanted to teach me something. He wanted to prune me. I just had some pruning to do. Well, I've been in car wrecks too. They were a nuisance and an aggravation, but I didn't think, wow, this is God's method for teaching me, putting me in car wrecks. Really? Well, that's not what the Bible says. That'll be what the devil whispers in your ear. And then you'll think, that's pretty mean. What an awful way to try to get my attention, put me in a car wreck or do something awful. No. Are we in a broken world? Yes. If I ask for a show of hands, how many people have been a fender bender or car wreck? It might be a high percentage of people in the room today. But that's not God's method for pruning. Here's God's method for pruning. From the mouth of Jesus, you have already been cleansed or pruned by the word I have spoken you. Hmm. So how's that work? Well, we need to be getting into the word. You're doing that today, so I'm not beating you up. Those watching online, you're, you're in, getting into the Word. Hopefully you have a Bible study time, a devotional time, something to read the Bible. And so what will happen is there will be a time where, where you'll be reading something and it will be some sinful area of your life that you haven't really focused on much or changed, and you'll read God says, stop doing that. And you go, oh, okay. Now, let me say this. If, if God says stop doing it, what do you think we should do? We should stop doing it. Now, most of us, and I'm sure I've done it too, like to negotiate with God. How about I just cut down a little bit? It doesn't say, hey, cut down on your anger and rage and bitterness. Now, I do know this. As we're growing, we may find ourselves like, man, I used to lose my cool five times a day. And I've said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to submit my life to God. Then it becomes one time a day, and then it becomes one time a week. So I get that. You were cutting down. And then one day you'll say, I cannot remember the last time I lost my temper. I can't remember, because you've grown. So I understand growing, and I'm all for that, but we need to obey. The faster we obey, the, the faster we walk in that fruitfulness that God wants us to walk in. So that's why some people, honestly, they're 18 months old in the Lord, and they've grown more than somebody that's 30 years old in the Lord. 30-year-old person in the Lord say, I've been serving the Lord for 30 years. You ain't got nothing to tell me. Well, that person has been serving the Lord for 18 months, has been doing whatever the Word of God said. And they're further down the road. You grow as fast as you obey. So here it goes on to say, verse 4, Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It has to remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You will bear... God is a good vine. He is a great source. And if you remain in him, you will be fruitful. But apart from him, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if you, re, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory. Look at what God wants you to do, that you bear much fruit. God wants you to bear much fruit because you show yourself to be his disciple. Guess what? We're back to your being light and your being salt. So we have a, a life source now. Now this analogy don't play out perfectly, but I think there's spiritual truth to it. There was a day where Adam and Eve stood in the garden. There were two trees in the garden. One was the knowledge of good and evil, but there was another one called the tree of life. 
And God said, hide the tree of life from man, lest they eat it and live forever. You think, well, why wouldn't you want them to live forever? Because they were in a sin-sick, broken condition. God, in his mercy, said, I don't want them to live forever like this. And so this whole plan of redemption, that's why Genesis to Revelation, you know, from, from the, the copyright page to the maps, leads you to Jesus, leads you to Jesus. And so now we have this tree of life. We can reach out our hand and take the fruit. Now, this is just an analogy. And that's Jesus. Amen. He is eternal, abundant life. And so we can eat of him. We're, we're going to... We're going to receive the broken body and shed blood of Jesus in a moment, which is very symbolic of, of ingesting God. As Eve ingested that fruit, and Adam ingested that fruit, we're going to ingest, I mean, it's, I know some people believe it's literal. I, I don't, and if you do, that's fine with me. I'm just telling you I believe it represents the body and, and blood of Jesus, and that we're going to take that in. And we eat of Jesus and his life. <clears throat> So today, if you've not reached out to Jesus, reach out to him. Say, well, but I want to go my own path. I'll tell you, God's so good, he'll let you take it. He'll let you take that path. But I've been at this long enough now that I've never met anyone. I'm sure they're out there, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I haven't met anyone who said, if I had my life to do all over again, I would not have served God. But I met plenty of people who said, man, if I had my life to do over again, I would have got off that path. Everything in me wanted to go on that path, but I would have got off that path and got on the path of the Lord. Because it won't take long for you to realize, it may take a few years, but it won't be a real long time for you to realize this was a real bad path that doesn't bring life. But we need to be all in. I want to encourage us to be all in. I read this week about a flexitarian. Have you ever heard of a flexitarian? I thought it was a made-up word. It's a real word. You can go to the dictionary and look it up. It's a person who kind of really likes being a vegetarian, but they can't quite be faithful at it. So I read this one lady. She said, most of the time I eat vegetarian. Here was her line cracking me up. This is this literally her line. She said, most of the time I eat vegetarian, but I love sausage. And I thought, that's so funny. So she eats sausage on times. And so she doesn't call herself a vegetarian. She calls herself a flexitarian because she's not quite all in. I believe there may be some people in this room today that you're in, I believe you're heaven bound, but you're saved enough to be miserable. The Bible says this, sin's pleasurable for a season, for a while, then it comes back and bites you, but it's, it's pleasurable for a while, and you're, you're saved, you, you know better, you can't really enjoy sin anymore because you just know better but you're not really enjoying God either. You're, you're kind of just saved enough to be miserable. I say, get all in. Go all in. There was a professor of physics at the University of Texas, Professor Leslie Pilecki, and she wrote a book on NASCAR racing. Well, one thing she did when she was writing this book was she went to the track and she got in a NASCAR trainer and she sat in the driver's seat, and she was trained how to drive this NASCAR. 
And so she got in. She tells the story. She said, she comes out of the pit area, and she hits the track. And this NASCAR, supposed to be so fast and powerful, feels awful. Just rough running and everything. Paul was her instructor. Paul says, shift gear. She hits another gear, takes off. Still sounds awful. She said, she gets up to 100 miles an hour and says, this thing's, you know, a piece of junk. You know, it's just like, doesn't really run well. And he said, hit one more gear and push that pedal. She hit one more gear and pushed that pedal, threw her body back in the seat, and she got up to 150 miles an hour. And she wrote this. She said, it was like a dream at 150 miles an hour. Felt like a clunker at 100. But when she hit 150, it was like a sweet spot. Got any NASCAR fans? Some of you are going, I need to go see Paul and see if I can drive that NASCAR. And she hits that 150 mile an hour, and everything smooths out, and it's just amazing. And she says this in her book. She says, everything needs to be used the way it was designed to be used. Some of you in your Christian life, you're like that NASCAR. You're, you're going 100 miles an hour, and you feel like some... You know, like you're in the wrong gear and you're bucking and it's just not really doing that well. And you're just like, this is awful. I want to tell you what I do know about NASCAR, and I have been to a few races. I can tell you this. They're made to blister that asphalt. They're made to fly. They're, they're made for speed. And I believe we're made for speed. And so you're clunking along your Christian life. Here's the answer. Go faster. Mash that pedal down. Go faster. Now in, our, in our working society, we think, oh, so that means I, I need to volunteer for five more things, and I'm going to make sure I'm in a church service once or twice a day, and I'm going to... Now, I, sometimes God may say to go faster, you need to slow down. I don't know, but what I'm really saying is you need to be all in because God did not design us to clunk along at 100 mile an hour. He says, and you just hear Jesus sitting in the... The seat said, hit another gear and mash that motor, man. You know, watch that thing take off. You're designed to take off in God. Go faster. Commit yourself, everything, fully to God. And I, I really believe this. If you'll do that, you'll go, ooh, this Christian life runs a lot smoother like this than, than clunking along in second gear. We need to get this thing going. So here's our assignment for the week. Don't entertain Satan's lies. Now, one way you're going to not entertain Satan's lies is to know what they are and catch him in it and know what the Word of God says. I hope you learned something today. When something tragic comes your way or a bad moment, you say, well, this must be God trying to teach me something. No, God teaches you through the Word. He gives you the Word, and we need to obey the Word. Do we learn stuff when we go through junky things? Of course we do. I hope we do. But that's not his method. His method's the Word. I just want to make one little side note. I feel like Darlene and I are decent parents. And so we, we told our kids things to do and not to do. And there were times they wouldn't do what we told them to do. Like maybe you tell a little kid, don't put your hand up on the stove because you'll burn yourself. You want them to learn from your words. But every now and then a little kid will reach up and touch something on the stove. But I'll tell you what, they won't do it again. They'll, they'll learn a lesson. So I hope that when you burn your hand, you learn a lesson, but that wasn't our goal. We didn't say to ourselves, let's take our little kids and put their hands on a hot burner to teach them a lesson. No, we tell them, we give them our word, and we want them to do our word. Sometimes we don't do the word, and we end up in a problem, but it wasn't like God made us do that. It's usually our own choices it is. So don't entertain Satan's lies. 
to allow Jesus and his word to clean you for fruitfulness. And he'll cut off some stuff. And he'll probably cut off some stuff that you like, because remember, sin's pleasurable for a season. So he may say, cut that off, it's time to put that behind you. And you got to say, yes, sir. Because I know his intentions towards you, it's not to harm you, it's to do good. And then the third thing, be all in. Be all in. You were designed to go fast. So be all in. Don't clunk around the track any longer in the Lord. Be all in.